0: On the surface, this gospel lesson is a very simple lesson. At the end of things, when the King of glory comes, and all the nations are assembled before him, he will divide the people as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. The sheep on his right hand to everlasting bliss, the goats on his Left to everlasting punishment and fire. And the basis of this judgment will be the way they have treated the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, the sick, and the imprisoned. Why? Because in these Jesus is to be seen. Or so it seems as we read the lesson very quickly. I think when most people read this lesson first time, that's the understanding they come away with, what I just said. But I would submit to you it's a far more complicated lesson than that. Far more complicated. And let me tell you why. First of all, you have to look at where this lesson comes in St. Matthew's Gospel. It is the last of Jesus' parables, It is told in Jerusalem just shortly before his death and resurrection. This is the last of the parables. It comes comes just before the Passover and the Lord's Supper, before the Garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. So it comes at a time of great tension. It comes at a time when there was great fear. The, The disciples were afraid. It comes at a time when Well, there was just fear and tension and and persecution. So you need to understand that, first of all. Secondly, when Matthew wrote this story down about 50 years later, there was still great tension and persecution. By that time, both Peter and Paul were dead. They had been martyred. The book of Revelation tells us that there were many other martyrs. Many people had died by that time. We know from Paul's own letters that he himself had been persecuted. He had been beaten, he had been imprisoned, he had been stoned, he had been treat, treated badly. And he wasn't alone, many Christians were treated that way. Not only that, but in the latter part of the century, there was great tension between the church and the synagogue. It was at this time that the church was separating from the synagogue, and Jews and Christians were fighting with one or another over who really was the true Israel. So this story comes from Jesus, and from St. Matthew, at a time of great tension, a time of persecution. Knowing that, many scholars, and I have to agree with him, many scholars say when Jesus talks about these as the least of these, my brothers and sisters, he isn't talking about the poor in general. He's not just talking about the the hungry, the sick, in, in a general sense. He's talking about his brothers and sisters, Brother and sister Christians. Disciples who have gone out into the world and are being ill-treated. These are his brothers and sisters in whom he himself will be seen. Let me give you one clear example of that. It comes from the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. You remember the story? St. Paul, then he was called Saul. We were told he was breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus. Do you remember that? Breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus. And he went to the chief priests and he asked for letters of authority so that he might go to Damascus there to persecute followers of Jesus. Well, he was on his way to Damascus when he was met by a great light which knocked him to the ground. And a voice came from that light and it said, Saul... Saul, why do you persecute me? Who had Saul been persecuting? Christians, followers of Jesus. Why do you persecute me? And he spoke to the voice and he said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So in persecuting the followers of Jesus, he was persecuting Jesus himself. Not only that, if you go to the beginning of this parable, it says that the nations will be gathered before him. The word there is ethne. It it, it means either nations, or, or it's sometimes just translated Gentiles. And it probably means groups. Groups. In other words, Groups are brought before him. Nations, peoples are brought before him. This is not really about an individual judgment, I don't think. It's about peoples coming before Jesus and having to answer for the way they have treated Christians. Now, having said that, the next thing I want to say to you is, very frankly, as this text is, and as we sit here today in Vilnius, it's not really very relevant to us. I mean that, I I say it as true. This text, we are living in a place of freedom. We are all well fed, we are all well clothed, We, we live very well. So this is not about us in that sense. But in many places of the world, it is extremely relevant. In the Middle East, in North Africa, in West Africa, There are Christians who are suffering every day simply because they are Christians. They are being treated with persecution. They they are sometimes hungry, thirsty, naked, afraid, simply because they are Christians. And in that sense, this text is extremely relevant because Jesus says, those who treat them well will be blessed. Those who treat them poorly will be judged. It is a real judgment upon the way those Christians around the world are being treated. And we need to know that. There is this judgment upon those who treat our brothers and sisters, his brothers and sisters, poorly. You can count on it. They can count on it. That's a promise. Okay. So, does the text have anything to say to us? Actually, I think it has a lot to say to us, but not in the sense we usually think that it does. Not in that sense. These brothers and sisters of mine. As much as you've done it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Remember what Paul said about about the body of Christ. In fact, it was in the Ephesians lessons today, but in Corinthians, it makes it even clearer that we are the body of Christ. We who are Christians. We are his arms and legs, hands and feet, eyes and ears, his tongue. We are the body of Christ, the body of the risen Christ in the world today. That's who we are. We represent him in the world. So, Are we to reach out to hungry and homeless people? Poor people? Well, obviously, yes. Are we to do it because we're afraid of judgment? No, not because we're afraid of judgment. Will we see Jesus in them? You know, that's what people usually say, you'll meet Jesus. No, I don't think so. They are to see Jesus in us, friends, in us. If you're worried about a judgment, that's the judgment you should worry about, is whether those people will see Jesus in us, who are his disciples, his body, his hands and feet. He sends us out into the world to be his body in the world. Now, in some places, as I said, that will mean they're persecuted. In other places, it doesn't mean that at all. It simply means we're to go out. Go out to all kinds of people. Are the poor particularly virtuous because they're poor? No, they aren't actually. Poor people are just like anybody else. They're good, they're bad, they're indifferent. But we treat them with respect and dignity because they're human beings. They're humans. They deserve our respect and dignity, help and care simply because they're humans. We go to them because they're humans and because we are the love and mercy of Jesus in this situation. That's who we are. You see, this, if you understand the gospel rightly, it just turns everything around. It turns it around. So we are sent into the world to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world. Second thing is, is there a judgment? And I know some of you think Wagner doesn't even believe in a judgment. He's always talking about love and forgiveness. He doesn't believe there's a judgment. Yes, I do. I believe very clearly in judgment. But what I believe is the most significant judgment has already taken place. And that happened on the cross. That happened on the cross. There, Jesus Christ took responsibility for my sins and yours judged, judged, judged guilty, died for you and for me. So in that sense, the judgment has taken place. You are guilty and forgiven, all in one swift action. Guilty and forgiven. We're always guilty of our sins. Nothing can, can make that different. We are sinners. But on the cross, he took responsibility for those sins. Took them to death itself. I asked last week, and I'm going to ask it again because it, it's so relevant here. I, I, most of you know John 3.16. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then I ask, and I'll ask it again, do you know John three seventeen? John three seventeen, where he says, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So that the world might be saved through him. This is the mission. Jesus came into the world To be God's love and mercy and forgiveness for the world. (coughs) Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Then the text goes on in verse 18 to say, And this is the judgment. That light came into the world and people preferred darkness to light because their deeds were evil. Light has come into the world. In Jesus Christ, the light has come into the world. Think about light. What does light do? It exposes things. It exposes us for who we are. There's nothing to be hidden, folks. You can't hide anything. It's all out there in front of the Lord Jesus. The light exposes everything. And yet in that exposed light, he says, I love you. I want you for my own. I forgive you, I welcome you into my family. Just as you are, he knows who you are. There's nothing you have to him. But he calls you to be his own. Yet, many people prefer the darkness. The darkness. Because they believe that hiding away in the darkness, their evil deeds will not be seen. That's a dream, isn't it? Just not true. But that's the dream. We try to hide our sins. And in trying to hide them, they simply belong to us and condemn us. The Father sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That you might be saved. Through him. That you might be set free. Free to, to live your life. Free to live in his love. Free, free with that confidence that can reach out to poor people, sick people, hurting people. Because you've got nothing to lose. You've already been judged and forgiven. You're free. Free to live your life in his grace. I'll tell you one more story that stuck with me for years and years and years. I saw it on a television documentary about World War II. And and a soldier was telling about, he he had participated in the Normandy invasion. And it was a couple days after the invasion and they were working through, I I think there were hedgerows there. Some of you been to Normandy? There there are hedgerows there, I think. And they were working their way through the hedgerows when, when a grenade fell very near to him. And the grenade didn't actually hit him, but the concussion knocked him out. So he was unconscious for a time. And when he woke up, he was staring down the barrel of a a German musket. And he said, this is a true story, guys. He said, "I, I thought to myself, I'm dead. He's going to shoot me right now. Then he said, this German soldier said to him in impeccable English, For you, the war is over. For you, the war is over. And he was taken prisoner and lived out the last year of the war in a prisoner of war camp. I say to you, for you, the war is over. The war is over. You could have died right there. You could have died in the judgment of God. But he has saved you. Brought you home free. There's nothing that can harm you. Not even death itself. Not even death itself. Will we be judged on how we treat the poor? Well, yeah, we are judged on how we treat the poor. But not in the way we usually understand this text. We should treat the poor with dignity and respect simply because they're human beings. And when we reach out to them in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the love of Jesus, hopefully they themselves, all kinds of other people, come to know the one who loves them and forgives them just as he loves and forgives you.